Yo, what's up, man? We'll, we'll let a couple more people flow in here. I do want to start this kind of talking about what our vision for this space is, is for the long term. And we want this to really be a series, not a one-time thing. And this is the first episode of that, so we're excited for it. Uh, on Twitter, it's really easy to talk about trading and everything like that all day, every day. Um, long-term investing, sometimes, you know, it, it's a lot of strategy and then kind of sit and wait and let stuff play out it's not in the every single day um but we we just saw that there was too many spaces uh, on technical analysis and everything short term and just not enough uh, on this whole long-term thesis we're excited to kind of put this together and really trying to make it a, an ongoing thing we're trying to work on how can we do it every single week or every single other week and not make it boring or stale uh what we really want to do on this space and what we came up with is we want to do deep dives into stocks and whatever we each of the people up here each of our amazing speakers are fantastic long-term investors that came with one stock prepared and the goal while they're doing these theses is to kind of explain what they're looking at what they're looking for you know trying to give out lessons how do i get started how do i look at this balance sheet what am i looking for and really trying to go through the story of a company uh kind of as a lesson and get lessons in there. So, you know, we're always looking to improve the spaces. This is the first of many. So uh, we're excited to do this. Let me know what everyone in the crowd thinks. We're coming in with a bang this week. We got a bunch of top class long-term investors up here. Stock Talk Weekly from Growth to Value and Brad up here to give you guys amazing knowledge. I, I see Connor in the crowd. I uh, would love to have him on a future episode of this. I know he's a great long-term investor as well. Uh, but with that, I will throw it back to Gov so we can kind of get moving into it a little bit. Or if there's anything else you wanted to say. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I wouldn't say that we have too many of these trading spaces. I think, uh, you know, I just think we want to have a, achieve a balance. So we're going to be throwing more of these, you know, long-term ones in too. Um, just don't want to lean too far either way because we do know that there is a balance within investors here. In addition, if anyone's unfamiliar, my name is Gov Blacksburg. I do run the Wolf account, which you see up here co-hosting as well as my personal account, which maybe I'll get that into here. Uh, big shout out to Joey from the Wolf team who's currently in here on the Wolf account so that we can have that in here. Make sure you're checking out what they are doing. And uh, yeah, with that, I think we can go ahead and get started with this. So Brad, would you like to lead us off with the stock that you're going to be analyzing today? And, you know, we do only have like like Stock uh, Market News pointed out, you know, three speakers for here. So feel free to take your time. I know that you always have plenty to say and I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Excited to, excited to get to really dive into a specific company that that's what I mean, that's one of the most enjoyable things for me. Um, hence the term stock market nerd. But but for me, it is progeny today. So it's a fertility benefits manager. Um, it, it kind of sits as a bolt on to um, insurance companies that that serve employers and help them provide um, fertility benefits in a more efficient, um, successful and economical way. So what I'm going to do is kind of cover the inherent issues with fertility treatment, um, go into how progeny fixes those issues, go into the actual results that we have from the CDC on quantifying its impact, um, and then go into maybe some optionality in, in financial stuff. But starting with uh, fertility's issues. So despite um, the ailment impacting one out of eight couples in the United States today, that's something that uh, surprised me a little bit. The American Medical Association did not recognize it as a disease until four years ago. So as a result, just 19 states have mandated insurance laws in place require, requiring some form of coverage. Um, just five states have, have any kind of legislation or guidance on IVF or in vitro fertilization, which is um, a very expensive and very common treatment within, within this field. So health insurers are not much better. Um, a lot of health insurance carriers have products that use what's called 
a limited lifetime dollar maximum. So this essentially or effectively places a ceiling on how much fertility treatment coverage an insured live has. Um, so these these li limited lifetime dollar maximums are generally around $15,000, um, according to the Journal of American Medical Association. Um, the, the, the average cost for a round of treatment is $60,000, so four times the average cost of these limited lifetime dollar maximums. So what this does uh, is, is it really pushes um, specialists and, and, and prospective parents to make uh, aggressive and, and, and somewhat unsafe um, decisions. So things like um, transferring multiple embryos in, a, in an IVF treatment, which, which leads to higher multi-birth multi rates and which leads to um, skyrocketing neo, neonatal intensive care units. So that's NICU costs, which the employer and the insurer end up bearing on, on their own. So just kind of for context on how this this multiple birth um, on how these incentives create um, multiple births a multiple birth scenario and, and why that's why that's um, an issue aside from the most important factor which is multiple births are, are not as safe for mothers but the mean cost of a single birth over the last five years was 36 grand that's compared to one hundred and fifty three thousand dollars for twins and over a half a million dollars for triplets so and and then also preterm births alone which is that that's another very common um, side effect of, of, of these limited lifetime dollar maximums push, pushing less than less than um, perfect per, perfect decisions. Um, so it leads to a lot of preterm births, which alone in the United States costs us $40 billion per year. Um, so again, private employers and, and carriers are often bearing the bulk of these costs. And then just going back to that, that $15,000 limit on, on the lifetime dollar maximums, when, when you're spending $15,000 and it's not equating to anything, not, not only um, is is that leading to all, all these these NICU costs, which are which are being borne by the employer? But it's also a waste of fifteen thousand dollars. So um, the the, tre the treatment uh, when you when you don't allow mothers to go through uh, their own customized genetically determined um, round of treatment, when you don't allow them to go through a full course, uh, it's it's essentially a waste of money, and it and it's obviously a waste of time and and and, and a safety hazard for for mothers as well. So um, there's also issues. With fertility medication, um, which Progeny has an RX product, which caters to that and cuts down costs and some of the administrative red tape that that goes along with assigning these medications, which is extremely important because you can imagine um, the time sensitivity of these processes. The the biological clocks always tick. Um, so when 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 for fertility medications take four weeks to arrive at your doorstep, that 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 can make all the difference in the world between having a safe and, and happy and successful pregnancy or not. Um, so, so the solutions and, and what progeny, how progeny kind of turned this um, on its head and tried to improve it. So progeny built what's called a, a smart cycle, which is essentially 19 different um, smart cycle bundles that could be mi mixed and matched to ensure the most customizable plans in the industry today. Um, clients is, uh, usually purchase two to three cycles for employee. So, so if you think about it, Progeny obsesses over aggregating all, all of the latest and greatest technology, over aggregating all of, all of the, the most in-the-know professionals and, and, and getting them on their advisory boards to consistently consult with them on, on which, which treatments need, need to be added, which need to be subtracted, and, and how new bundles need to be formed. So that, that ensures that, that more, again, more successful births, uh, shorter time to pregnancy, which, which inherently lends itself to lower costs for the employer and, and creates a really compelling win-win, but, but not only that. So, so fertility specialists also, we have to remember, are graded really on, on outcome data on, on how they're performing. And these limited lifetime dollar maximums that, that, I, that I cited early on in the conversation, they, they preclude fertility specialists from choosing the best 
treatment plans with with their with their members um, in order to pursue the best and safest pregnancy. So they're they're really being handcuffed as well, and they're being precluded from being as successful as they can possibly be. Um, and and just kind of putting numbers behind uh, what 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 the cost savings look like for employers. Um, and I'll and I'll go into more um, more or quantified advantages from from CDC um, moving forward, but. Um, to begin to talk about it, so progeny's pregnancy rate per IVF transfer is 61%. That's versus 53% on the national average. So this translates into about 1.63 IVF treatments per progeny member versus 1.88 for U- for the USA as a whole. Considering that these IVF treatments cost $12,000 per round, I'm, I'm not misspeaking, $12,000 per round, this leads to savings of about $3,000 per, per employee. And when progeny is serving behemoths like Microsoft and Amazon with with tens and tens and tens of thousands of employees, uh, this, this savings really, really adds up very quickly. Uh, but that, that is a, is a, is a great transition into, into quantifying the, the impact that progeny has, because, because we can talk about how, um, they, they create more optionality and, and they eliminate these lifetime dollar maximums and, and that makes them better. But there's a lot of data actually pointing to the fact that they are better. So over the last six years, we, we've had reports published by the Society for Assisted Reproductive Technology, that's SART. And in conjunction with the Center for Disease Control, so CDC, that just tangibly and concretely points to how much better progeny is versus the field. So they offer a 16% higher pregnancy rate and a 26% lower miscarriage rate versus um, assisted fertility treatment cycles as a whole um, in the United States. IVF multiples rate is 72% lower um, than the national mean, with single embryo transfers being 41% higher than the, than the national mean. Um, th- this, isn't, this isn't just a flash in the pan. Um, progeny has raised its live birth rate over the national mean um, from 23% to 25% year over year. And it's been six consecutive years of these leads growing a- a- every, for every single study. Um, maybe unsurprisingly, this, this translates into a really, really high net promoter score of, of plus 79 um, for, for physicians and then, or, I'm sorry, for, for the fertility product and then for RX, um, their, their prescription, uh, their prescription product, it's plus 81. So, so really, really creating a lot of value. And, and then I'm, I'm going to talk about uh, kind of the, the, the differentiator and, and, and how it's sticky beyond just, just offering better treatments and, and giving access um, to, to, to better care. So Progeny enjoys a, a pre-tax edge versus some of these other um, next generation fertility disruptors. So I'm thinking of Carrot Fertility and Maven Clinic, if, if any of you guys have heard of any of those, but they're, they're pretty small companies. So uh, the only reason I know about that is because I, I did so much work on Progeny. But they they offer their they offer their treatments and they offer um, yeah they offer their treatments on, on a post tax basis so 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 in, instead of instead of pre tax uh, they offer it post tax which means when when Carrot and Maven um, are servicing a client th- these clients must pay income tax on the amount of the reimbursement for the treatment which adds a new layer of inefficiency and substantial out of pocket costs so again sixty thousand dollars is the average course of a round of treatment. If you want to plug a 24% income tax rate on that, which is which is pretty standard, so this this advantage saves progeny members $14,000 per course of treatment on average. So just absolutely incredible value value creation that 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 they're that they're creating. And and I my I, I talked to James Hart, who's who's a VP at the company, and one of my my main question was how does this how does this advantage exist, and and why isn't everyone else um why aren't all the other disruptors doing this? And, and according to Hart, uh, Progeny really benefited early on from the influence of, of a small co- cohort of, of large and powerful clients 
Um, so he didn't say Microsoft, but what we can assume it's, it's Microsoft um, and because that was their earliest behemoth client. Amazon came on a few years later. But, but these clients, in his own words, went to bat for Progeny and pushed national carriers to allow Progeny's integration to create this pre-tax benefits program. So, so really, it, it, it was a matter of, of it, it's almost a chicken and the egg argument. So Progeny had to get these really influential clients onboarded first in order for these very influential clients to push all, all these national carriers to integrate and allow for the, the pre-tax advantage. Um, and, and because they were able to do that with all the extreme value creation that they're able to generate, and, and, I, and I cited all those statistics earlier on, they were able to onboard a Microsoft and they were able to onboard um, an Amazon and an Uber and, and a PayPal to get these mammoth clients, um, again, and I quote, going to bat for progeny to get these effective enough integrations so that it we, we go from post-tax reimbursement and paying 14 grand in income taxes to no income tax whatsoever. So progeny's reach and market, as you can imagine, is, is pretty pretty strong at this point in time. And, and I should mention, it's a $4 billion company. So it's a, it's a, it's, it is a market share leader in any, any way you slice it. I mean, it's still just a $4 billion company competing in a market that it believed is going to be $40 billion in size um, over the next several years. But, but I, I cited some of the other clients uh, that, that, it, that it services right now. So I won't get into that, but I, I do want to get into some, some macroeconomic tailwinds. Um, that, that are that are pushing progeny success and continuing to push uh, the need for for progeny services. So assisted reproductive treatment cycles account for just two percent of births in the United States. When we look at other developed nations, uh, I could talk about maybe a Denmark um, or look at some others, a Germany or France or the UK, it's closer to ten percent. So we we are we are severely lagging, and and that's that is a byproduct of of the extremely high costs that patients have to. Um, endure for going through these processes and and products like progeny only being a few years old um, which are directly enhancing access um, so so that that two percent um, should slowly climb to ten percent based on based on uh, us being being the same being human beings just like people in Denmark and 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 France and the UK are human beings and we have similar biological needs so as progeny continues to become more ubiquitous and as it continues, to boost coverage and boost access and boost efficacy, um, we, we should see that start to climb to 10%. Now, we also have to keep in mind that, uh, where was I about to go with that? Uh, that, that things like the LGBTQ plus community and single births by choice, um, th those two cohorts of, of, of mothers or, or of people are becoming much larger. And, and as you can imagine, every single one of those births require a service that, that, that Progeny provides. Um, the other thing is uh, the really the bear case for progeny um, is that the natural rate of birth is falling in the United States. But when you dissect that that decline of the natural rate of birth, it actually becomes somewhat of a bull case for progeny. So overall, natural birth rate over the last 10 years in the United States has fallen by 1.1 percent. But that birth rate for women over the age of 35 it has actually risen by 2.2 percent. And things like teen births falling, which is a wonderful thing, um, are really contributing to that decline in natural birth rate. And as women get older, um, just just uh, uh, not 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 to sound insensitive or anything, but the biological clock does tick, and the needs for these services become inherently higher, um, which which feeds progeny's growth. Um, in terms of what's next, uh, they they really are in the early stages of of penetrating this market. So. They're in less than 5% of their, their serviceable, addressable market in terms of clients and less than 3% in terms of covered lives. 
So a lot of a lot of companies, the what's next is, okay, what product are you going to create for me next? Or what geography are you going to expand into next? They don't really they don't they don't really need to do that just because there's so much low hanging fruit left for them to take advantage of, which is a really good transition um, into the financial performance and how that's translating into really strong results. Uh, So most recent quarter uh, revenue grew about 99 percent year over year. That did benefit from backlog or elected care backlog unwinding, which which benefited fertility treatment as a whole and progeny as a whole. But from 2018 to 2020, their revenue CAGR is 80 percent. Um, and, and, and that coincides with a net income margin of 14% and an adjusted EBITDA margin of 14%. So, th- so there's really um, there's really no cost incurred a- a- between EBITDA and, and net income on, on the income statement. Um, but w- one of the one of the most encouraging things that I, I take away from from the the, the margin um, conversation is that this company and, and I would encourage every other company to do the same thing um, discloses a, a EBITDA margin on incremental revenue. So that really gives us a sense of where the business is going in terms of unit economics. So I said their their adjusted EBITDA margin sits at 14%. Their adjusted EBITDA margin on incremental revenue sits at 28%, so a full 1,400 basis points ahead of that, um, which is why over the last several years we've seen such such consistent margin expansion um, and, and so to, to coincide with that really favorable top-line growth. Um, and then I'll go into one, one more thing, and then I'll pass it on because I've been talking for a really long time now. Uh, but but their guidance has actually been reduced uh, twice this year. So they, they they missed they missed their forward guidance twice in the last two quarters. And and there was a a reason that they cited, which which when you look across um, other other players in elective care, namely like a good RX for me, which I focus on a lot, they're seeing the exact same things. Um, so it was due to a, a, a temporary dip in utilization rate. It it, it trod at about. 88% and has since risen back to 90%. Um, and, and, it, and and their guidance infers that there's no further improvement to that. Um, so I thought that that would be uh, just because of variant outbreaks and, and people becoming more hesitant. Uh, Progeny actually cited and 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 talked to everyone in the industry to to make sure um, that this really odd explanation was actually warranted, that that it, it really coincided with uh, summer, summer travel demand and pent-up travel demand unwinding. Um, as people were able to go on vacation for the first time in two years. And that sounds a little wonky to me. But when you look across utilization rates by geography and, and the COVID outbreaks have certainly not been uniform in, in their intensity by geography, though, those those utilization dips are uniform, which which points to that actually being the case and, and actually being in, encouraging in that and that it's, it's extremely temporary and has already begun to recover. So uh, I want to talk about one more thing, which is valuation. Uh, so enterprise to sales uh, is not a really useful metric here at all, um, just because gross profit is sits, sits at around 30%. Um, so yeah, you could say, okay, it trades at an EV to sales multiple of, of seven times, but, but it could trade at the exact same gross profit multiple as, as a company with, um, with, uh, with a 60% gross multiple trading at, at half the sales multiple or, or double the sales multiple, I'm sorry. So uh, in, in terms of multiples for progeny, they their their EV to EBITDA multiple for 2022 is sitting at around 40 times. Um, their price to earnings ratio is sitting at about 80, 85 times, depending on where it actually shakes out. Um, and they're and they're expected to do 50% top line growth again this year with precipitously expanding margins. So um, looking across the, the landscape, you you can't really find uh, 40 times EBITDA for for the top for the type of top line growth and the type of margin expansion and the type of market leadership and value creation that Progeny is providing. Um, so, so just just for all of those reasons, um, it, it is one of my largest positions, and I, and I plan 
to continue adding to it into any any future um, multiple multiple compression or or intense volatility just just for all of those reasons um, I, I just mentioned of, of the deep dive that I the progeny's business so uh, if you'd like to read the entire on my Substack, which is entirely free um, and and that that covers a lot of what I've just covered in a lot more detail um, so that I don't talk for an hour and a half because we've got two other amazing speakers that I'm really excited to hear from. Uh, but thanks so much for having me, and I, I will pass the mic. Quickly, though, I, I do want to kind of do this as we're going to go through and listen to these amazing fundamental theses. The first one we just got from Brad on progeny. Uh, I'm going to just say it wrong. I shouldn't even say it again. Close enough. P-G-N-Y, right, Brad? No, P-R-O-G, right? Is it P-R-O-G? So, it's, it is, uh, so the ticker's P-G-N-Y. I probably should have left Oh, my that. bad. My yeah, bad. No, no, no. no, no, no. Nice small caps for, bro. So funny story. When I, when, I was interviewing, when I was interviewing this, this VP, I, I called it Progeny. And he's like, nope, it, it's, it's Progeny. So that, that's how our conversation started. That was a lot of fun. But, but, uh, but yeah, it's Progeny. Perfect, perfect. Progeny, okay, I'm on the right ticker now. Pick ticker P-G-N-Y. And really the point of this space is, isn't necessarily here's the stock, whatever, here's the thesis on it. It's really to hear when Brad gets excited about a stock, all the things that he looks at and some of the stuff that maybe you should be looking at and like, okay, here's what fundamental analysis actually means through the example of a stock. I think the best person is going to be writing down some terms or some whatever in there, kind of looking it up and applying it to other stuff. Um, with the idea of turning the spaces into a real long-term investor series, I kind of want to, I feel like the best place is to start right at the start. Um, Brad, I'm going to start this first question with you and I'll kind of do this to each of our speakers after they, they throw out their thesis. But like, this is, you know, this is not the type of company that uh, a 23 year old, 24 year old is just going to know off the top of their mind. So how do you, like, how would you find these, these opportunities or these stocks where you can then start looking into them? Yeah, believe it or not, um, at, at 24, I am not a fertility expert, uh, and I, I have very little experience in or direct experience in, in the fertility category. Thankfully, um, maybe I'll have kids one day, but but really not not looking for that. At, at, I'm, I'm I'm too poor to have kids right now. So if if we're being candid, uh, but but really, Dependence. they're not kids. Uh, right, right, right. But but really, um, so. I, I use Twitter and, and I use I use friends from Motley Fool who I got to know very well while I was working there as really as, as lead generation. So I, I don't I don't take I, I don't take investment picks and, and just run with them. But but I do um, use people's investment picks and, and smart individuals who, who I lean on for opinions um, for inspiration. Um, and this was recommended by Joey Salitro, who's a, a, a smart guy from Motley Fool who used to be a big Twitter contributor. And then uh, Brian Feroldi as well. So when, when those two people uh, say nice things about a company, that generally prompts me to want to look into it a lot more. Um, and occasionally when I do look into it a lot more, I, I get very excited and excited enough to start a position, which is exactly what happened here. Um, but but yeah, the, 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 the biggest part of my research uh, was, was becoming a little bit more well-versed uh, in, in fertility treatments and how that process actually works. Uh, so that was that was that was definitely interesting. Um, just sitting at a coffee shop and, and reading about fertility. I'm, I'm sure people thought that was really weird as they were walking by my computer screen. But but um, but it's just part of the process. So so, yeah, I did not have a did not have a deep base of, of fertility knowledge before this. And I'm definitely not an expert now, but I, I, I definitely I think I have the base of knowledge that I need to, to confidently own it. Brad, you going to you can ever use this as like part of your pickup lines. You're just like the fertility expert. For sure, yeah. That that'll that'll work every time. 
I love it. Evan, what else did you have? I know you had a couple questions in there. No, I think we'll we'll keep it moving. We'll throw one question to each person, and then we'll kind of come back and maybe get some good wrap-up in there. Uh, I mean, while we have the chance to interject, I do want to give a big shout-out to all the speakers that we have up here. Make sure you are following them. Check them out. Uh, Brad, From Growth to Value, uh, who actually might have just gone down as a listener or be a glitch. Spaces loves to glitch. And Stock Talk Weekly are going to give us amazing theses. Gers came up here and joined in is going to give us some stuff as well after and big shout out to bullish rippers for hosting this thing uh the spaces uh doing a bunch of these and excited to uh to have gov on that account hosting but back to you and you can keep us moving yeah i was definitely about to throw it over to from growth to value who is coming back up right now uh i'm gonna guess what's up uh chris you good yeah i'm back i was uh i was i was thrown out for uh for a while are you on Android or uh, iPhone? I'm on Android. Oh yeah, that's gonna happen a few times. So let's uh, let's throw it over to you now. The floor is all yours. Uh, if you do get booted, uh, just I guess cozy app or something request, and we'll get you back up here. All right. But all you. All right. So uh, I'm going to talk about uh, Fiverr, and um, Fiverr is actually um, a marketplace. I, I, I'm I'm hesitating a little bit. I will explain later why. Uh, it's a marketplace where you can, you know, uh, get access to freelancers uh, who can, uh, you know, help you with your project. And that can be anything. Uh, I mean, you can, uh, the, the traditional case is often I need a logo, uh, but or maybe, uh, you know, maybe some of you use that to, uh, to edit uh, podcasts or... Um, those are the more traditional or, or you know uh, intros or what have you those are the more traditional uh, use cases but uh, fiverr has uh, actually uh, expanded a lot and there are i don't remember exactly but more than 500 categories now um going from all kind of administrative administrative t- uh, tasks um to um creative and um you know developers um whatever you want um there's often uh you know there's often a, a you know a possibility uh on uh on fiverr i was on in a twitter spaces um several months ago um and we talked about uh fiverr as well and um you know the one of the one of the listeners uh, asked uh, you know to to be a speaker and uh, he had been using uh Fiverr for all kinds of quirky things like you know he um he asked for a personalized erotic story uh about a threesome between uh Warren Buffett, Charlie Munger and uh Katie Woods so <laughs> you can have quite a lot of different services on uh, on Fiverr and um um it's um. It's... Bro, I, I just bought both. I heard that and just bought both on Fiverr. Sorry, could you repeat? He said he, he said he bought both on Fiverr. Fiverr. I, after hearing that, I'm short Fiverr. <laughs> <laughs> great, great. Um, so um, yeah. I mean, you you can really. I mean, if you want to ha- have an app, that's possible. Uh, if you want to have, you know. Uh, someone making I I know someone uh, who he's a manager uh, quite high level and he has to do two to three 
presentations a week while well, he uh, he outsources everything to to Fiverr. Um, so you know you can do a lot of you, you can outsource a lot of tasks. And um, I, um, I I I was a user. Uh, or I, I tried using uh, Fiverr in 2015 or so, and I, I thought it was crap. <laughs> uh, I mean, I didn't find the quality that I need. I needed a logo for you know a local um, uh, running competition that I helped organizing, um, and um, you know the logos were really crap. And and eventually we, um, you know. We uh, we just went to someone local here. Uh, you know, we paid uh, much, much, much more, but you know, the it was quality. And um, so when 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 Fiverr had its IPO, I was not really attracted to it because of that user experience. So it, it had its IPO, I think, somewhere in 2019, at the end of 2019, I think. And uh, you know, I I was not interested because I had been a user. But then um, in 2020, I, I read um, uh, Clayton Christensen's uh, book um, um, about, you know, uh, disruptive innovation. Um, so he's, he, he coined the term. Um, and Christensen is, a, you know, he was a professor and he had a, a lot of, uh, you know, high profile uh, fans like Steve Jobs and, and uh, Jeff Bezos in typical Jeff Bezos style. Um, someone entering the exec- executive suite had to read three books and uh, Clayton Christensen's was one of them. And um, if you look at disruptive innovators, what you see is that often they're very, you know, low class starting off. What I mean is um, people think it's, it's, it's a rubbish uh, service. It's good as a toy, for example, um, or, uh, you know, to, to have, uh, something you know of low quality. Maybe if you wanna, if you want a logo, um, you know, for uh, I don't know, um, a night out with the boys, and you know, you you have a a, a t-shirt. Uh, that's something you can do on Fiverr, and and you know, it it that was actually when when I read the book, I thought, oh my god, I have to go back to Fiverr. Why? Because uh, those typical innovators, um, you know, they they appeal to a certain public, which you know, the cost is is the most important uh, element there, and um, it's only later that that company goes, uh, you know, uh, to to higher um, echelons of of the of the market. And um, I think s- still a lot of people see Fiverr, and you know, the name Fiverr comes from it's it's originally it was you know five dollars for a gig, and. Um, and you know, st- still a lot of people see Fiverr as that original company it was, and you know, still is to a certain extent. Uh, you know, you can still get very low quality, very low priced um, logos, for example, um, for that night out or what have you. Um, you know, you can you can pay still uh, if you, if you. Did he get uh, booted? Yeah. yeah, is this the boot incoming, Rip? It's the the Android boot. Okay. Uh, let's see how far my Twitter puts are up. Let's just check real quick. <laughs> no, we'll, we'll, we'll keep it moving a little bit. We'll get back to him. I'm going to actually kind of use one of the opportunities to throw a question out there, and then maybe when he gets back, he can get into the last part of his Fiverr thesis. We'll definitely give him the opportunity to finish up. 
So uh, I kind of got a good, simple question here. I know for most people, but you got to learn it once. And for those long-term investors in here who are really new at this, uh, you may not know it, but Stock Talk Weekly, are you here? I am here. Yeah, I would love to throw the question to you of like, you know, this is the first space where really kind of new long-term investors here. Where do you find the information that you're really kind of looking into? Um, yeah. Find which information? Just like about companies, whether it's, you know, their, their reports, their filings, et cetera, or, you know, maybe other, some, some other websites that kind of aggregate data in, in a good way, but really like where are you finding the information about the companies when you do your uh, due diligence? Um, I mean, it's a bit of a broad question. I mean, for filings, I just go to sec.gov, but I mean, with regard to company related information, you can go to a company's investor relation page. If you're looking for, you know, PRs or, or internally released information. Um, I mean, you could just go to Google too. Um, I mean, there's a variety of places that you can look at information, Fintel, Finviz. Um, I mean, there's a million to one place. There's no specific source I go to necessarily. Um, I mean, there are some, you know, places that aggregate information about companies, but it usually tends to be either inaccurate or delayed or not updated. Um, but I mean, I, I, I would love it if there was, you know, kind of a central hub to go to that had like a summary of every ER and the summary of all the filings and, and that'd be a really useful hub of information. I just don't know of a of a source like that that has pretty much everything related to a company in one place. There's usually a number of places you can go. But there's one though. I think Bloomberg has everything. Whatever you mentioned. Yeah, Bloomberg does, does, but the organization is. I mean, I guess on a terminal it might be different, but. Yeah. I mean, yeah. The, I mean, Bloomberg. I mean, you know, if you're going for news and for other information. Yeah, Bloomberg's good, but I mean, they still don't have everything in one place. I would say you'd still have to go no, to a few different. Terminals also, though, Gerg, though it's 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 kind of not for the everyday person in there. So it, it is definitely the best place for it. But like you know, I would say ninety nine point nine 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 percent of this chat in here does not have access to terminal and won't be able to. Um, so I, I think kind of so I, I agree with Stock Talk that there's not that that one place for it. I found success, you know, Finviz. The, all the information in there is not 100% accurate, but the screener is great to find decent stuff. Um, company filings, if you Google this company and then investor relations after, you will find a bunch of filings there. I enjoy Seeking Alpha. It's solid that with decent information there. They do have a paywall. There's other similar websites that can do that. But yeah, typically there's going to be two or three um, websites in there. We've got a good back. I'll just like no, quickly cool. chime in. Yeah. with the. Go I spend on. like 80% of my time on, on IR pages, so for for me, it's it's getting all all the information from the primary sources and then kind of piecing it together and, and vetting it with with third party sources, which I think was what Stock Talk Weekly was getting at. Yeah, yeah just, just going to investors, just going to a, like going to a company's website and just going to investors relations. Like you'll find most of the stuff that you need there, and then you can verify it independently. And for the filings, the best option is SEC Edgar. It's a free website, but the SEC they have all the filings. And the good thing about that is you can go, select the stock you want, put your email there, and as soon as something is filed, you will get an email right away within five seconds. So that's a good way to get access to complete filings to and be the first one to get them. So SEC Edgar. I'm going to talk there a little bit more about this concept in the future, but literally any of these services you hear about, 
SEC Edgar. The website is not great. It's going to be maybe a little bit difficult to use. Everything is one YouTube video search away. How do I use this? How do I do whatever? And a little bit of learning. Um, yeah, the, and the, use that the website might be ugly, but they do have all the file links and guest official source, right? Most of the people will be delayed and these guys will have it first. Because when Perfect. you go filing, right, you submit it to the SEC and that's the website. Like this is where it goes live the first time. So, Perfect. Thank you, Gerg. So we're dealing with the Android curse. We're going to quickly throw it back over to growth to value. Make sure he can get in here so we can uh, hear his full thesis on Fiverr. Uh, yeah, we'd we'll, we'll love to kind of hear the uh, the second part to that. Yeah, sorry for that. Um, no, it's not you, just, Justin. We've been dealing with that problem. But, oh, yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, just uh, to, to add to that, uh, you can also go to the investor relations pages and uh, subscribe there so you get all the news uh, as well. So uh, just to add that. Um, so I was I was uh, talking about Fiverr as you know the crappy company it, it, or the crappy service maybe uh, it, it it used to be um, low quality, um, but what has happened? So um, you know it's it's as I said it's a typical innovator disruptive innovator and that means that they uh, start from being low quality and they continue to. Um, put out features, and then uh, on you know based on those features, they uh, they improve, uh, or uh, based on the on the feedback that they get from those features, and that's different from other companies, uh, incumbents who um, you know want to have a perfect product before they put it out. Disruptive innovators, you know, just throw it out there often for free or uh and then uh, i have to think of of cloudflare for example cloudflare puts out a lot of of new products um i think it was more than 700 last year uh new products and and features um and you know um by the way uh matthew um matthew prince the the founder and ceo of of uh, cloudflare he uh, he was a student of uh, of Clayton Christensen, and he was um, um, you know he uh, Clayton Christensen wrote him a, a note that he he followed him closely, and if he ever wanted advice, uh, you know he could get it. So unfortunately, uh, Clayton Christensen uh, you know uh, died of cancer. Um, I think about ten years ago now. Um, so um, you know. What we see now with Fiverr is, you know, it, it has done a few things. So um, one, it has made those services into products, and that's very important. If you look at Upwork, it's still, you know, um, really tailored to to people. Um, in Fiverr, it's much more standard or standardized, and um, you you can you can buy a product for example um you know you want that logo you go you type go to fiverr you type logo and then you have you know lots of people lots of styles as well and you look at for example you can uh, click on um you know modern or you can click on vintage uh, and then you get uh, lots of portfolios uh, of you know creators and uh, da, da, da. The Android. This is this is so. Again. I mean, he he's dropping knowledge bombs and he keeps getting interrupted. This is a bummer. I I hold I in all in all full disclosure, I hold one share of Twitter out of solidarity for spending a quarter of my life on the platform. But uh, yeah, outside of that, 
no button. All right, it looks like he's back. What's up, Chris? Um, I'm just going to pretend nothing happened, so I'm just going to continue. So you can go to, um, you know, you can go to Fiverr. You can uh, type logo. You can go to Vintage, for example. You look through portfolios. Um, you see a logo that, or several logos or a style that you like. You contact that seller, and um, you talk about. You you can talk. Or you can ask questions, etc. And then you can agree on a certain gig. And, you know, usually it's standardized. So um, you have um, basic, uh, standard, and premium, if, I'm, if I remember well. And um, so, by the way, my, my logo that you see now is, has been made on Fiverr. <laughs> um, you know, then you, you, know, you, 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 pay, you pay. And the good thing is that Fiverr uh, keeps the money. So only when you... Um, you know, you um, accept the the work that has been done. Um, so you can you can ask for revisions and etc. And you know the the premium, you know, that can be for example uh, done within twenty four hours, unlimited revisions etc. 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 And then um, Fiverr keeps the money until you say uh, I accept this work, and then the the creator gets paid. So that's a bit of the system and Fiverr. Uh, you know, takes its cuts, and it's that is quite high. So the take rate of Fiverr is uh, more than twenty eight percent. If you compare that to Upwork, for example, that's only thirteen, thirteen and a half or so. So more than double. Um, and the reason is that people really, um, you know, like the fact that it's cheap um, anyway, so they don't mind paying paying uh, Fiverr a bit. And um, also because it, you know, it adds a lot of trust to the platform. Um, so what happens now, and I, I said uh, when I started out um, that, uh, you know, I, I was a bit hesitant to call it a marketplace because more and more you see that it's transforming into a platform. That, by that is that it, it has uh, all kinds of services, yes, but also, um, you know, it has added, uh, Fiverr has added, in even in the last year, it has added quite a lot of features, um, which make that it will be more and more interesting uh, for companies and not just, you know, individual buyers um, for bigger companies. So, for example, um, you know, you can take a subscription. Um, you, for example, you need an SEO uh, expert. Um, you know, it's not that you want SEO, you know, being done once. No, you want that, you know, for example, every month um, or every week, maybe even depending on kind of products that you have, et cetera, et cetera. So you can take a subscription to that uh, to that seller. And um, that's great for you because, you know, you can rely on it then. And it's great for the seller because it's recurring revenue for the seller. And of course, it's recurring revenue for Fiverr as well. So that's one of the things that they have uh, implemented. Another one is Fiverr Plus, which is um, a subscription actually for um, the sellers. So, um, they get a success manager, so someone who helps them to get successful on Fiverr, um, how they should present their uh, gigs, uh, their portfolios, etc. Um, they get more statistics, they can give coupons, etc. So they get some perks for that subscription. 
Um, but the most important one, I think, is is uh, Fiverr Business, or one of the most important ones, um, because there they go to you know bigger businesses, and they have created uh, a whole virtual room. So, um, you know, if you have a if you're a bigger company, and you, for example, you want to make an app, um, you know, you need a developer, but you also need um, someone uh, who is who's great at um, user interfaces and uh, graphics and what have you. So um, all those people can work together in a virtual uh, place, virtual room, um, and you know you can really set the rules there. For example, um, you know this stage of our project has to be finished, uh, you know, in one month, for example. Uh, or usually it's it's with three or four or five or six phases, um, you know, but that's dependent on on the on the customer. And um, what you see is that um, this is a, a great place for businesses to get uh, bigger projects done as well. And that is you know, very important. Uh, if, you, if you look at you know, the, the revenue of, um, of uh, Fiverr, um, the, this feature was only uh, introduced about a year ago. And I think, I'm not really sure, but it was, about, it was already about 10% of revenue. So, um, you know, this is growing very fast. So everything that Fiverr does is really going up market. Um, you see that in, they, they regularly buy agencies. For example, they, they bought um, a creative agency uh, called Working Not Working, um, which, which um, you know, had worked for Netflix, for Google, for um, Apple. Uh, so, you know, that's, that's really, you know, upscale. Um, the, for example, one of the things I would never have thought when I went back to the, to the, you know, to the platform is the guy who created the, the Apple logo is a seller on Fiverr, um, you know, starting from 10,000. Starting from 10,000. Well said. Yep. There right. we go. We'll you know, I, I think, yeah, I think we're going for uh, a decent bit towards the end there. I would definitely love to give him the opportunity to finish up his thoughts on Fiverr. While we're doing that, I'll throw out another question to Gerg and Stock Talk and Brad. I don't see him back up yet. There we go. Um, yeah, great. Yeah, we'll definitely give you the chance to uh, to kind of keep going and finish up your fiber. All right, love to hear. It. Sorry, I I, I have I have to say no, it's, no it's, worries, no worries. it's really the first time it. I get booted out so much. Uh, I've had it once or twice before in spaces, but um, so. You know, for example, uh, that was the last thing I said. I don't know if you heard it, but one of uh, the, the 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 guy who created the Apple logo, for example, is one of the sellers on on Fiverr, and starting from ten thousand um, k and and going upward for for his gig, and that also shows that you know it's um it's going up market. Um, but you know they 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 make acquisitions, um, and one of the things they're really good at is tying in both their the the seller and the buyer uh, to the platform. And I'm I'm calling it a platform now, not not a marketplace. For example, one of the things that they have done is um, you can now uh, as a seller, um, you know you can now have your um, health insurance on Fiverr. Fiverr helps you there and uh, has a program for sellers, um, which is great, I think. Um, so they give 
that's just one example and there, there are more examples like that they help they really help the sellers um and um one of the other things is that they they are constantly um focusing on removing friction and i have to say i'm i'm a you know i uh, became an avid user now of fiverr and um yeah i'm i'm you know i really like the fact that they remove the friction so much it's it's you know it's a bit like the amazon one click uh kind of thing um uh you know removing friction can can be a huge differentiator although you may not immediately see that because it's it's so easy that you don't think about the process now talking about amazon i think this is really um um the way to see it i mean i'm not saying that uh fiverr will become uh, amazon like but uh, what i mean is that it's still very early um in um in uh digital uh freelance work so uh, less than five percent of freelance work is done digitally and um this is a bit like e-commerce so of course you know you're always going to have you know uh, physical um contact with freelancers but the market uh, uh will continue to grow um there and i think this is you know this is e-commerce in let's say i don't know 2005 or so so um if you look at what's going on right now and, and you know I, I read a book the end of jobs and uh, it's it's a very interesting book it's it's about 10 10 years old maybe a bit older already and um it, it predicted what we see now in this period happening so um you know a lot of people don't go back to work because you know they started something and um they became entrepreneurs and and what you also see is that even the people that you know that went back to work um they often have a you know a side gig and um I, you know that evolution is only starting right now if you look at uh people who do that the most it's gen z so um you know the young people um so um you know that's one of the elements that you know makes me very bullish on fiverr as well that this market is so huge um and um you know it's still starting out so even um even if um you know if the company itself would not, it would be almost impossible not to grow. Let's put it that way, um, just because of the secular trend, uh, this very strong secular trend that is there. So um, at this moment, because the the stock has crashed so much um, uh, after COVID, because it's now seen as a COVID play, right? And uh, because th this has become such. Um, generally accepted um term that i think it's time to you know to start looking at uh companies which are you know slashed <laughs> completely I, I think i'm not sure i think fiverr is down more than it's it's more than 70 percent uh from its highs i think i think it's very still very early in this market and, and uh, fiverr will continue to grow for a very very long time consistently um and, uh, and more and more of this will go online, just like has happened with uh, e-commerce. E-commerce is now about twenty percent of all transactions uh, are, um, you know, are there. And I think, um, I think this market, you know, digital 
he uh, uh, freelancer, sorry, will will go the same route. It, it will take probably. 10, 15, maybe 20 years, uh, just like it did for uh, e-commerce. But, you know, look at e-commerce, it's still growing fast. And, and I think the same thing will happen uh, to Fiverr. And what I said was that the, the stock has had been slashed about 70%, which means that it now has a market cap, um, which is even smaller than uh, Progeny. Um, or Progeny, I, I've, I already forgot again, Brad, sorry. Okay. <laughs> um, and... Um, it's um it's it's just a three point uh three point four billion I think market cap right now so I I think I mean I I can see this company go of course over the long term but I can see it go twenty x or, or or even more um because it's you know hey just just wanted to cut in quickly we are just with time and everything we love the, these deep dive explanations we want you to go as deep as possible we love it love to have you on in the future but for time. Uh, we would love to just want to kind of yeah, well, wrap up. I, I was rounding it off. I was rounding it off. So it, that was the last thing that I, I was going to say, actually, that I could see becoming, I, I could see this become a, you know, a 20 bagger over time or so, or even more uh, if you have the patience and if you have the stomach to, uh, you know, to ride out the, the high volatility. Awesome, man. Thank you. Great thesis. Love it. Uh, love to have you on again to get into some more names that you got on there. Uh, I'll, I'll give it to God to keep us moving now. Yeah, we can keep it going. I've also been looking at these stocks. Um, you know, Fiverr, really interesting one with that run-up. Uh, it ran, it looks like, if you go to those March lows, where the stock really hadn't moved a lot, to be honest, in the March lows. It hadn't moved a lot for a while. The stock ran 1,362% in 11 months and two days when it peaked out in uh, February. And... Pretty much from the March lows. I'm just trying to throw some uh, some stuff on here. I mean, it's it's obviously come up. down a pretty significant amount now from those all time highs. It is down 73. percent So you know you've just heard the fundamental case um, for it. So if you know this is a stock that you believe in, you know when your thesis remains, when you like the business models, when something's down 73, um, percent you know definitely go ahead and give it a look if it is a stock that you are. Uh, you know, either familiar with or you want to get more used to. Okay, we're going to keep well, it rolling. But big shout out to well, before uh, we, yeah, before we get it over to stock talk, I just want to first finish off that shout out you were given earlier to bullish rippers. Uh, this is the first of many spaces we're going to be doing. The second from many spaces, first in this series. Gob is going to be hosting a bunch of spaces. I'm tweeting from the rippers account all the time. This is, you know, if you're a fan of our spaces, this is a, a great to be following account to be following. A really great combination of. But I think my, mine and Gov's best uh, parts on Twitter really are. Um, uh, yeah, just wanted to get that in there. Maybe a, a quick Google Spaces calendar shout out. We haven't gotten any in there before we go over to Stock Talk. Yeah, I have a question. you guys have so many spaces. How can someone keep track of them? Like easily, right? It's too complicated for me. Uh, Gerg is right. We have so many spaces going on. I mean, like I see Joan in the crowd. We have a space with him tomorrow. Did y'all know about that? I have only posted that at once so far. So if you hadn't seen my pinned tweet on the Wolf account, then you wouldn't have known. We also have other spaces happening all the time, ranging from fundamental and technical analysis, crypto, NFTs, and a little bit of everything. How can you find when all of these are? Simply by going and DMing one of either the Wolf account or the Stock Market News account. Shoot us over your Gmail, and we will add you to our free public calendar. That way, you'll see it's a Google calendar. We put all the details on there. Speakers, details, recordings, everything in one place. It is so simple. There's thousands of people on it. There are CEOs, hedge fund managers. I wish I could see the AUM of everybody that's on that calendar. 
uh, and just so many more, you know, even people, oh, it is today. I saw the Jonah. I forget it's Thursday. The week is running. I have a space with Jonah actually in an hour. That is today. Thank you, Jonah. See, if everybody had the Google calendar, they would know when that space is going to be. Jonah, you are correct. They see the text. Um, even I get mixed up. Okay. Um, so one more time, like if you just want to know what all of our spaces are and not like me get mixed up, shoot over a DM to either the Wolf account or Stock Market News. Jump onto our free Google Calendar where you'll be able to see all the details. Just make life easy for yourself. And if you don't like it, you can always unsubscribe at any time. Uh, no need to be committed to it. I uh, won't even tell us, but you'll probably love it. So with that being said, uh, Evan, did you have anything else you wanted to add on to that? And then I think Chris had one other point. That was perfect. You can um, DM any of the accounts, Bullish Rippers, Stock Market News, or Wolf, any of the accounts as a host or co-host. And we'll get you right onto that. One of the best tools that we've created already. And we're always looking to add to it. It's only going to be getting better. I have some ideas brewing in the background right now. Uh, so, yeah, make sure you're on it. Um, and that's why we got to keep this one moving so we can get everybody involved. But, Chris, did you have one last point? I saw your hand up. Yeah, well, actually, I was trying to wave to, to Jonah, but um, I, I, I just wanted to add one more thing. If you look at the gross margins uh, of uh, Fiverr, they're very high. They're uh, mid-80s. And, um, you know, if uh, the, the, the stock uh, trades at a... Uh, um, uh, enterprise value gross profit uh, ratio uh, forward then of just 10. So uh, it's it's quite cheap right now, I think. So, but I, I, I didn't really want to add that. I just wanted to wave to Yona, but you know, I, I took the wrong, uh, you know, thick fingers. <laughs> Perfect, thank you. Okay, let's keep it going. So our third plan speaker for today is Stock Talk Weekly. So the floor is yours. Hey, man. Um, so full transparency, you know, I didn't prepare anything um, for today. So, you know, at risk of sounding unprepared behind Brad and behind um, from value here, uh, you know, I was thinking of talking about Tesla or IonQ. And as you guys know, like I'm usually I'm usually on the cutting edge side of the companies that I invest in. I mean, it's a riskier way to do it. There's not as much fundamental history for a lot of these companies or even fundamental basis if you look at it in a vacuum but you know I thought about it and I actually think I'm, I'm probably going to go and talk about lithium because you know of all the industries or sectors that I'm bullish on I think lithium is one of them that I view as kind of an inevitable industry and I really view most of the constituents you know that are, are in lithium especially domestically um, to be to benefit from that growth kind of in a winner agnostic way. Um, so two tickers, just to bring up tickers since we're talking about those that I view and, and these are both tickers that I, I'm personally invested in as well. So the first one is LTHM, which is live incorporation. Um, I've owned that stock since it was eight dollars. It's trading at 25 today, even after all the pullbacks we've seen in, in growth and tech. These lithium names have held up relatively well. And the other one is LAC, which I got long on that a little bit more recently. My cost basis on that is 18. It's trading at 30. So not up as much on that one, but still up nicely on both of them. So I, I'm kind of treating those as a pair exposure to lithium growth. Um, so again, that's LTHM and LAC. Um, they're both roughly three to four billion dollar companies. So, you know, they're mid caps. They're not they're not massive. Um companies but i'm going to kind of speak to the space in general going forward and and why i really see this as you know um a space that's going to benefit off a 
supply bottleneck that I think will last for the next eight to 10 years at least. Um, you know, when you look at lithium demand from, you know, 2020 till now, the jump has never been this big in a year and a half period. Um, you know, the S&P Global Market Intelligence, they project that by 2030, we will have an annual deficit in lithium of 1.7 million metric tons per year. So I'll repeat that again. By 2030, we'll have it will be projected to have a lithium deficit in terms of the difference between supply and demand of 1.7 million metric tons per year, which, you know, theoretically would catapult the price. Not that it hasn't already catapulted. If you look at the price at the start of 2020 and you look at the price at the start of 2021, so January 2020 through January 2021, we saw about a 300% leap in lithium carbonate prices. If you look at the lithium carbonate prices from January 2021 to January 2022, where we are now, it's been about a 500% leap. So the last two years have seen a massive, you know, um, trampoline in, in lithium prices. And, you know, it, we've seen it more on the China side uh, with their expansion, but we're seeing it on the U.S. side as well. And the fact is, is this is one of those industries where, you don't just have this inevitable growth in demand, which is going to come obviously from electric vehicles and also just, you know, a, the general demand for batteries as well. So, you know, knowing that 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 those trends are, you know, ramping up, we're seeing electric vehicle adoption increase every year. We're seeing battery adoption increase in every year in other use cases as well. And so, you know, knowing that there's, you know, and we don't have a better alternative yet. To lithium ion batteries you know there's debates about you know solid state batteries which a lot of them are lithium metal based anyway and then there's debates about you know graphene and other replacements but you know in the at the current juncture when, when you think about lithium a lot of people think okay there's a shortage because maybe there isn't enough but you know that's not true lithium supply is very plentiful right it's one of the most plentiful, like, quote unquote, rare metals on the planet. It's just that it's not being extracted and refined quickly enough. That's the crux of the issue. So there isn't enough extraction infrastructure globally um, to, to meet the demand. And the demand's not going to slow down. Um, you know, if you look at the the earnings reports from Lithia, from Event or Lithium Americas Corporation this year, um, and you look at the guidance given, you know, both the CEOs said multiple times in the last two earnings calls that they see no scenario in which lithium demand will taper off in the next five to 10 years. And it's not really, you know, I feel like this is one of those industries in metals that's far less speculative. I mean, there's almost no scenario where we don't see this ramped up demand. And like I mentioned earlier, especially when you consider that China and the United States are going to spend tens of billions of dollars domesticating um, rare metal supply chains over the course of the next few years, that's going to add more subsidization to you know the bottom lines of these companies. When you look at LTHM specifically, and you look at their last two quarters, right? I mean, the revenues aren't jumping like crazy, but I mean, they're decent. It's decent growth. When you look at their Q2. Revenues jump by 58%. Q3, they jump by another 48%. And so, you know, you're seeing revenues grow 40 to 50% quarter over quarter. 
Um, they raised full year guidance twice. They raised it in Q2. They raised it again in Q3. Same thing with LAC. Um, they also raised their full year 2023 guidance already. So, I mean, it's just really stunning how ahead of the ball they are um, on projecting growth in this industry. And for me, it's, you know, it, it shows and it leans into showing certainty about the growth that, you know, they're so willing to project um, demand increases. Uh, when you look at Bloomberg, Bloomberg's projections are a little bit more even ambitious than the S&B Global Intelligence projections. Bloomberg's projecting a 17-fold increase in demand from 2022 numbers. So not even looking back to last year, this is a more recent report. So they're looking at the, the <coughs> sorry, the updated demand numbers from January 1st, 2022, excuse me, and they're, they're projecting a 17-fold increase by 2030. It, <coughs> In demand alone, sorry, excuse me. Um, and when you look back to 2010, if you were to go back and you were to take us out of the COVID picture, take us out of the you know near-term growth that we've seen p as part of electric vehicles, if you go back to 2010, we were at 0.5 gigawatt hours in 2010. And a decade later, we're at 526 gigawatt hours. I mean, that's mind-numbing growth, right? From 0.5 gigawatt hours to 526 gigawatt hours within a decade. And now we're projecting another 17-fold increase within a decade. So this is just a scenario. It's, you know, this, the case for lithium, if you really want to simplify it out of everything I've said, it's just a supply and demand thing. Um, we simply, we have more than enough raw supply of lithium globally, far more than enough. But we have nowhere near the amount of extraction infrastructure. So what that creates is it creates a formula where you have this supply and demand imbalance where the metals are there, the infrastructure just isn't. So it's almost a picture perfect growth scenario for these companies, because, you know, as long as they continue to generate revenue and continue to spend that revenue on ca capacity production, the, you know, the raw materials are there for them to theoretically endlessly increase capacity. Um, whereas, you know, they, the, the, because of the current lack of extraction capacity, that's going to drive prices higher due to the supply and demand imbalance. So they have a two-pronged benefit here where, you know, the price of the products that they're producing, the price of lithium is going to continue to increase exponentially while to meet that demand, they also have basically un untapped, unlimited resources globally that they can continue to expand into. Um, and when you look at Liven specifically, LTHM, and, and that's the one that I've been long for the, lo for the longest period of time, um, and you look at their last two reports, one thing they emphasized was that, and, I, and I've talked about this before, I trade a lot, I trade and invest in a lot of metal stocks, and I think I've mentioned this before on our spaces, but when you look at these, these metal stocks, basically any metals, not even just rare metals, you know, get steel or, or anything, um, these mining companies in general, you want to go long on these companies um, when they're at the end of their CapEx expansion cycles. And so, you know, what that is, is basically every few years, miners of all sorts will allocate you know, massive portions of their balance sheet to expanding production. And those those capex expansion periods usually last between you know a year to three years. Uh, I would say most of them last for for no longer than about a year and a half. But you know, depending on the the industry you're looking at, for lithium capacity cycles, most of them are lasting about a year to year and a half. So for LTHM, they started a, a capex expansion cycle last year, 
and they anticipate to be finished it by 2023. So they're going to expand with 5,000 metric tons of hydroxide um, in Bessemer City, and then they're going to have an additional additional lithium carbonate carbon. I keep saying carbonate lithium carbonate expansion of 10,000 metric tons in Argentina, um, and then another. 10,000 tons in 2023. So by early 2023, by the first quarter of 2023 specifically, they expect to have all that expansion complete. And then they'll start a phase two at the end of 2023 for an additional 10,000 metric tons in 2024. So these companies are, you know, they see the opportunity. They see that the raw material is available. They're on top of it. And in the near term or in the short term, it's going to weigh on their balance sheets. That's part of you know, these metal stocks and this is part of the way they work in the short term, it'll weigh on the balance sheet, but in the long term, you know, it's going to be massively beneficial because they're going to come out. They're going to, you know, they're going to enter 2023 with about 40% more production capacity. Um, it'll probably take about a year to a year and a half to ramp that expanded production capacity to full scale. You know, typically once you expand new production facilities, they're not, they're not at full scale production instantly. It takes, uh, on their last expansion cycle, it took them six months. Now they're projecting on this expansion cycle because the expansion is a little bit larger. It'll take them eight months to achieve full-scale capacity. But, you know, the point is, is that, you know, these companies are fully aware of, you know, the surplus in raw materials that are available, but they're also aware of the supply and demand imbalance and the fact that they can tap into these raw materials to meet that imbalance. But, but but at the same time, even if they all do, right, even if LAC, LTHM, all of the, you know, sub $10 billion lithium companies in the country were to tap into CapEx cycles, they still wouldn't be able to meet the demand. And so knowing that there's going to be this supply deficit that will almost inevitably last for the next decade, it's going to drive, you know, I, I think these companies are going to be forced to be re-rated by the market is essentially what I'm saying, because... It's guaranteed growth, you know, in some cases, 50% quarter over quarter, in other cases, 300% year over year. I mean, they're all growing and, you know, they're in this perfect um, storm of, of this supply and demand imbalance while having the ability to basically, you know, get as much business as they can handle, essentially. So these companies are going to be fully booked on business and on their backlogs you know, for the foreseeable future, um, any dollar they can earn is theirs, in, in other words. And so, you know, when you look at lithium prices now, and, and, and you may think, okay, 17 fold by 2030, that's ambitious, right? If you, if you go to Bloomberg, that's what they're saying. You go to the S&P Global Intelligence, they're saying 500%, whatever it may be, between 500% and 17 fold by 2030, it's a crazy jump either way. But when you look at the prices of gold, silver, copper, steel, iron ore, platinum, you, know, you look at any of these metals over the last year, I mean, they're either down, if you think of iron ore, down 26% um, in the past one year, or you think about copper, up 24%. I mean, they're, they're, they're in that, that tight range, right? They're either down or they're up slightly. When you look at lithium in the past year, it's up 697%. So, I mean, it's not even the growth, the growth in demand and price for this metal is not even comparable. To me, it's jumping off the table. Like, um, and, and I trade these types of stocks all the time. So once I saw this, you know, imbalance starting in 2020, that's when I first bought LTHM. And then last year, you know, I wanted to expand my exposure to the space. And that's when I added LAC last year. They've both done very well. 
you know, the beauty of these is, is they're an exposure to speculative technologies and the way that they're related to electric vehicles and batteries. But the, the drawdowns in these stocks have been nowhere near comparable, you know, whereas some of the electric vehicle and battery stocks I've traded and owned have gone down, you know, 30, 40, 50, 60 percent from their highs. These stocks have fallen maybe 10 or 15 percent from their highs. So the stability in price is, is great. And I mean, that's not only from an investor's perspective. Because I think whether you're an investor or a trader, stability and price for a growth stock is great because it's so rare. Um, but that's the beauty of these things. They're not only they can not only be traded as commodities and cyclicals and, and metal stocks, but they can also be traded as growth stocks because they simply, you know, they simply are. Um, there, there's very few cases to make against that. And you know, pretty much any projections you look at are are guaranteeing that this supply debt demand imbalance will continue to exist despite the expansions and capex of these companies and so for me these make excellent longs not only in the short term but in the long term i mean they're probably two you know besides a few a few exceptions like tesla and you know other companies that i've held for years um, these are companies that i plan to hold for years i'll probably keep these both i mean i would imagine for a few years at least so when i think long term i mean these really fit that narrative for me um i think all the way through you know, electric vehicles going from 3% adoption this year, or actually now it's closer to 4%, but 4% adoption this year, you know, electric vehicles are projected to be at 21 to 25% adoption um, by 2027. Yeah, I don't know if we'll get there, but if we do, you know, this, this supply demand imbalance is only going to continue to increase. And not to mention from the government side, which I've already talked about, about how, you know, these companies are going to be you know, without a doubt, subsidized in some manner by by both the United States and Chinese governments, whether that's directly or indirectly via, you know, facilitating their CapEx cycles. They're also going to be supported by major corporations who are getting involved in electric vehicles. I mean, we've seen Tesla sign five different exclusive lithium uh, supply agreements in the last year, five different ones with five different companies. And you think about the nickel deal they just inked, and they had a nickel deal they inked with Vail last year as well. Expect Ford, GM, Volkswagen, BMW to all ink deals of these sorts. They may not be doing it now, right? Because when you, when you go back to, to legacy internal combustion engine production, you didn't need to source um, metals and materials in the way that you do to produce electric vehicles and to produce batteries. It's a, it's a whole different manufacturing production and supply chain ballgame that's why i always tell people like you know the assumption that that people are making about uh, you know legacy car makers just snapping their fingers and you know being electric vehicle producers it's not that simple they're gonna need to secure you know exclusive metal supply contracts you know the big three i always talk about are lithium cobalt and nickel you know the same way that i talk about lithium i expect there to be big demand increases for nickel and cobalt as well I'm not sure we'll see the same perfect storm that we have here where you have a supply demand imbalance, you have a massive abundance of the actual raw material um, and you have government tailwinds as well. You know, that to me is the perfect storm. I'm not sure that that applies to nickel and cobalt also, but I expect those metals to grow either way. And so when you're looking at this and, and you're saying, okay, you know, the, the turnover and the expansion of electric vehicles is inevitable. And these other corporations that are getting involved in electric vehicles will inevitably also have to pursue their own metal supply chain partners. I mean, you have the corporate 
partnership side uh, aiding this this narrative as well. So, you know, these stocks, you know, some weeks they rip, some weeks they don't. Um, but I'm less concerned about the near term price action. You know, if I had thought that way about LTHM buying it at eight dollars in 2020, you know, I wouldn't have held it. But but I'm glad I did because I, you know, I had a pretty large position size and it's paid very well uh, to hold that stock. And same thing with LIC. I mean, I bought it, you know, under 20 late last year and, and now early this year, it's already um, trading at 30. So these stocks, I think there's a lot of demand. I think more and more institutions will start getting involved. Um, you know, the reason I prefer LTHM and LAC, you know, the granted they're mid caps, right? They're three or $4 billion companies. The reason I prefer them to, let's say an ALB or one of the other major producers is for that exact reason that I brought up with, you know, the fact that we have this supply demand imbalance, we have an abundance of the raw material. These companies have a better ability to leverage that, um, to increase their, their, their capacity production or production capacity, sorry. And, you know, grow at a higher percentage in terms of growth than the bigger players who, you know, they may expand a little bit. They may add five, 10% more capacity. Um, but these are the kind of companies, you know, these mid caps in this space are the kind of companies that can grow capacity by 60 or 70% in a two year cycle and then really dramatically improve their value proposition and, and force uh, the stocks to be re rated as well. So, you're going into the, the end of this year and next year, I think Wall Street will put more eyes on these names. Um, LAC itself has been picked up by Deutsche Bank, Credit Suisse. Uh, I think it was Credit Suisse, but they've been picked up by a couple, couple tier one analysts over the last few weeks. So it's kind of already happening. Wall Street's eyes are kind of already turning to these mid cap lithium names. And I think over the course of the next two years, that will continue to happen. And I expect them all that or mostly to have upside targets. Uh, these companies have very little in the way of headwinds. I, I don't even see a bear case for the sector at all. And, you know, that's one of the things that I pride myself in doing is anytime I go long on a sector exposure in this way, especially where I have two or three stocks paired as a sector exposure, I really try to, for my own benefit, explore bear thesis on the sector. And I just simply can't see one for lithium. Um, every single piece of the formula is there. Like I said, I call it a perfect storm. So, you know, if, you, if you're a person that has not looked into lithium stocks or does not have any exposure to lithium, I highly recommend researching the industry. Um, I've done hundreds of hours of research on battery technology, um, lithium, cobalt, nickel, the applications, the alternatives. So if anyone has any questions, you can free, feel free to uh, DM me if, if you're somebody who's interested in getting involved in lithium stocks and I'll answer any questions you might have. But it's something that I think is really dramatically overlooked not only by the retail investing community, but I think by Wall Street as well. And like I said, early this year, we've seen initiations on LAC. I think we'll continue to see coverage, upgrades, initiations on, on both of these stocks going forward. And, uh, you know, I think Wall Street will catch up to, to the narrative that, uh, that I think at least is a very obvious one. My man's passionate about lithium in case y'all couldn't tell. I love it. All right, Evan, you got any questions there? Yeah. So uh, I will start this with, with you, Stock Talk, and maybe it can be a question that can kind of go around. It'll be two parts for you. So we had this conversation yesterday that, you know, and I talked about a little bit earlier that a lot of research and a lot of stuff is just one Google search, one YouTube video, one good book, however you learn a way uh, for finding it. So I kind of wanted to ask you, 
Um, what are some terms that you think that you would search maybe like into Google or whatever specifically for lithium? And then maybe for more, like, you know, if you're a fundamental investor just starting out, maybe some of those more terms on videos you, you would look at. And then we talked yesterday about, like, how do you get started? You can start searching up specific terms. And I know you had a couple of opinions there, but, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll love to hear your thoughts there. You mean just terms related to, like, learning about lithium? Yeah, lithium, yeah, just, you know, good search terms for you to kind of get in, put in, and get the right stuff out, at least get started. Well, you want to look at the different types of lithium. You want to look at lithium carbonate lithium hydroxide um you probably also want to study a little bit of a battery technology so you understand the applications you want to study about you know what a lithium ion battery is uh you want to look at what the difference between lithium ion batteries are and lithium metal solid state batteries um it's probably also worth exploring what i mentioned about capex cycles that doesn't just apply to lithium it applies to any sort of miner or metal mining stock in general they all have capex cycles um stld which is a steel company was an example of that last year uh the literally the day their capex cycle ended i went long the stock the stock doubled in like three weeks so shows you the power of these capex cycles um and if i didn't make that clear earlier just to reiterate that for, for people who don't understand why it's significant once you once a company once one of these companies comes to the end of a capex cycle that means they've finished incre- they've finished increasing their production, right? So the, those those uh, expenses don't weigh on their balance sheet anymore. Like all that money they're dumping into into uh, production capacity increases doesn't weigh on their balance sheet anymore. But now they also have that increased production. So usually the stocks catapult in response to that because you know the balance sheet looks so much better, the ERs look so much better, and you have this additional capacity that gets scaled and scaled and scaled. Further and further, like I said, it typically takes about, you know, 12 to 15 months to fully scale new capacity. So, you know, that's that's why those CapEx cycles are important. That's something to look at. Um, I would also look at uh, global lithium supply chains in China versus the United States. China and the U.S. are the two leaders for sure. China's definitely a bit ahead of us in terms of um, expansion and in terms of the way that the government is supporting these supply chains. But I think within the next three to five years, you'll see the United States government step in and really try to domesticate their own rare metal supply chains. It's one of the biggest, you know, competitive advantages that China has over us, which is their control over these domestic uh, rare metal supply chains. And so, um, you know, I I anticipate the United States will realize that. I think we already are realizing it. And I think our government will step in to, to invest in that area as well. But yeah, those are just some basic things I would look at into into how to understand lithium and some key terminology. Perfect. I do just want to step in quickly and I'll give it back to Gav. Um, this is recorded. So if you were just furiously writing down there and you missed and you're sending us a DM or whatever, uh, follow the Bullish Rippers account, the Green Raccoon. Uh, we're going to post the recording after you're going to be able to see it. We're about, uh, what, an hour and 24 minutes in. So you'll be able to find it right there. Um, but yeah, just wanted to make sure I got that in there and throw it back to you, Gav. I see we finally got the recording feature on this account. I don't think we had that last week, right? No, I don't think so. I think that's why we didn't see the views, actually. Yeah, we didn't even have that on Monday, so that's pretty cool. I also saw uh, that we have the downvote feature now on people's comments. Uh, They're they're switching it up, putting in some new features that don't make any money. Love to see it. Okay. Uh, With that being said, we have been running for an hour and a half. Uh, Also, if you haven't already checked it out, just a reminder, for the Bullish Rippers account, you're looking at the two co-hosts or the people that run it. So I'm Wolf, I do the spaces, host, moderate spaces, Evan does the tweets, you're kind of getting best of both worlds. 
We're almost at lucky number 13K on this account. We're literally like 21 followers from it. So if you haven't already followed the Bullish Rippers account, please do check it out. Evan, since we've been running about an hour and a half, I do have that next space that's going to be in 30 minutes. So don't want we to still push got, off we too We've still far. got uh, one or two. I definitely promise Gerg we'll, oh, we'll Gerg, get a little Gerg, bit of a shorter sure. version from him. And, uh, and we'll give him like the five couple minutes or whatever to talk in there. I'm going to say and guess it's Gap, but I, I won't blabber on for too long. I'll, I'll throw it right over to Gerg so we can get his thoughts. Definitely right, have you Gerg. on in the future once to get some more in-depth thoughts though, Gerg. So for, for before I start, at this gap, but I would like to continue with stock talks as Volithium Resolithium. In the U.S., the biggest mine is in Las Vegas, Nevada, in the middle of the desert. But there are two main problems with that, right? One, you need a lot of water to pump out lithium. And there, there's almost no rainfall there. They have to import water from other states. And the second problem is that based on some, I think, an Indian uh, territory, like the old people, right? Like you, they won't uh, leave that as they claim that's their home ground and they had a lot of wars and they own the land. So that's the main problem. But the second problem is the solid state ones, right? The solid state ones, the batteries are very expensive right now, but will they be cheaper in the future? Yeah. but. The main concern is the only way they go cheaper is with mass uh, adaptation, but the only way we see mass adaptation is if they go cheaper. So they both depend on each other. I think in the next three, four years, you might see heavy machinery using um, these solid state batteries, but I don't think any of these big AV brands start to use uh, solid state for the next 10, 15 years. So, but till then, Lithium will be king. So, but the stock I will talk about this gap. I've been talking about gap for over a month now. The stock is up twenty percent so far, and today alone the stock was up six seven percent because they announced an NFT club. I'm not a big fan of this, but my stock's up, right? I can't complain. But Gap, right? They own brands like Gap Kids, Gap, and Old Navy, and three more brands. I think everyone knows it, right? What Gap and Old Navy does. Like these guys are legacy clothing uh, uh, retailers. But one thing everyone seems to be missing is the new collaborations with Kanye West and now Balenciaga. With the Kanye West collab, I think that can add another two to two point five billion a year for uh, Gap, and they have pretty good margins too, right? So that should add another two hundred fifty million in free cash flow end of the year. They did take a hit in 2020, but so did all the retailers, right? Last year, they did just under 14 billion in revenue. And right now, Gap is still worth under 7 billion. They do have a bunch of debt, but they have been paying it off, right? Last year, they had 2.2 billion in cash. Right now, they have under a billion left in cash. And uh, they have been selling their less profitable and highly expensive assets. Like in the, in the Mexico region, they plan to sell all of the old Navy to, a, I think, a private equity firm. And I think they might do the similar thing in the U.S. and Canada soon, right? Spin off old Navy or just sell it off to other um, interested parties. But so there's one more club that's about to be announced soon. is the Balenciaga one. And Balenciaga one, I haven't seen a big Wall Street uh, firm report on that. And I haven't seen a single analyst make uh, changes based on that, right? So that was leaked last week on Instagram by Kanye West. 
So Balenciaga is a high fashion brand. The prices are almost double what Gucci, Louis Vuitton, and other high end fashion brands offer. And with this cloud between Gap and Yeezy, people who want to buy Balenciaga but who can't afford that will love to be like they will be the first one lining up to buy this. And I think Gap can add another billion and billion and a half a year for Gap. But no one seems to be talking about that. So the main concern was Gap did reduce guidance due to supply chain issues, but that's happening with the entire industry. I think the supply chain issues for Gap they last I think two quarters, but I do believe they improve after that. So So my end of the year price target is thirty bucks for Gap. Just over hundred percent from my entry. Perfect. So looking for it to fill that initial gap, obviously having a fantastic day to day up six percent already on the day. Um, you know, coming back from really once it fell to those lows of fifteen ninety eight, it's back up now to eighteen eighty three. And if it was to hit thirty, that would not be just reclaiming that initial, you know, fall down, but really coming back towards its all time highs. All time high or I guess No, not not all time high. I think all time high was all time high thirty high. Two thousand, I think. Okay, all right. Well all time high that matters. Uh, I mean the problem with that is right, they did issue a lot more uh, shares since then. So the chart is like when you look at the chart, right, from like a company that's like twenty, forty years old, that's been public. The charts are a bit misleading because they have issued so many more shares. And the market cap is almost double and triple what it was back then, even though the share price is less than what it was back then. So a bit misleading. Yeah, that's a pretty good point. Evan, you got any comments you want to make on that? Um, no, I think, uh, you know, I always have questions and stuff that we can add into it, but I know we do want to head into wrap-ups. Um I just we just want to kind of set it and just kind of get a comment out there as we at the start of this, and I'll throw it back to you. Um, you know, we, we've said this a couple of times. This is definitely meant to be the start of a series, and, and it's really meant to be for long-term investors. I did say earlier that there's too many short-term and trading and technical analysis space, and that's not true. Um, there's just not enough long-term investing ones, and we really want to try and bring that to you guys. So if you're in the crowd, you're hanging out, and you're a long-term investor, uh, please let me know what you thought of this space, what the concept and everything like that. Maybe things that we could be doing better, um, things you would want to see for the future. But yeah, this is something we really want to um, try and get every single week. You know, the way long-term investing really is and, and the mentality and, and a lot of that, it kind of, you know, you don't need to do it every single week. It, you, you kind of have a nice base at the start and then you can kind of do it uh, ongoing every other month or whatever uh, after that. But we want to find ways to bring it to you so that we can do it every single week, every other week, something like that. So we thought this concept of doing deep dives into companies to kind of give you how these long-term investors really think about stocks, uh, what they're looking for, um, the type of terms they're saying, how they're, you know, the type of advantages and, and where they're looking, and maybe some areas for you guys to start your research, a, a great area to start your research. So we hope there is some great value in that. Let us know what we can prove one more time and, and make sure you're following all of our speakers up here. They really came up just for free. Uh, you know, they, they put, gave such amazing information. I, I see from growth to value in the crowd. He's right at the top on your screen. He's got a bunch of followers. So you'll see him up there. Make sure you're following him as well. Big shout out to everyone. Um, yeah, they, they're posting uh, amazing information on their feeds. They came in here for free. Uh, all that we ask in, in return is that you give them a follow, check them out. And, and the truth of it is, if you really hate their content, which you won't, uh, you can hit that unfollow button. But make sure you are following all of them. Check them out. Click into their profile, see everything else. And with that, I'll throw it back to you, Gal.
your gals, can you talk about AMC at your long thesis for long term? Yeah, my long thesis on AMC is that the CEO loves selling millions of dollars of his own stock. And what's I mean, not to love that? has to be bullish, right? The CEO is it's, selling like he believes. That's what I would like a million. Like that's when I bought at 70. Like if the CEO point. is selling all his shares, that's very, very bullish, Gal. Yeah, it's, you know, that is as bullish Let's as chill, chill, get. chill. We're, we're, oh. we're starting this, like, uh, honestly, I don't okay. know if we can have, like, a, a, an invest uh, space, like, focus for long-term investors again, started and then joke around. Uh, all right, he's all right, kidding. Right. Um, um, the one thing I also yeah. will say during out there, um, just on the stocks that were covered today, again, that was PGNY from Brad, Fiverr from, from Growth, and then Stock Talk, actually, I feel like covered a few, but all of them were lithium plays pretty much there. Um, the one I will say is Brad on yours uh, for pro progeny. If you're looking at it just on the technicals, and I won't go into technicals for more than 20 seconds, but if you anchor a volume weighted average price from the March lows, which is if you look at it just with a lot of these growth stocks, one of the most powerful indicators, it just bounced off of that like three days ago, two days ago, and it's basically like looking to come off. So that could be a key level. So if you're adding, if you're loading up here. You're trying to find a good entry point. That could be something to keep an eye on. Um, with that being said, um, Danny, I saw you came up. Did you want to throw out a minute or two of anything? Sorry about that. Just had to unmute myself. No, I was just uh, checking in, uh, listening in. Um, didn't have anything necessarily prepared. Um, what's going on, Brad? Yeah, just wanted to uh, listen in and see what, uh, what my friends up here were talking about. Okay, sounds good. Awesome. Then I think we're going to go around and we're going to do just some closing commentary. I will ask people to keep these to about two-ish minutes each just because we do have to wrap up in about 10. I close out this one and get ready for the next. Uh, Chris, would love to hear from you first. Any closing thoughts? Yeah, well, there, uh, there are a lot of uh, long-term investment approaches as well, of course. And uh, I'm a bit more growth-oriented because, you know, I'm, I'm forward-looking and I'm, you know, I always look at the long term, really long term, because a lot of, of people say they are long term investors, you know, until the, the stock price drops and um, then it, it becomes, uh, you know, a lot more difficult. And I think one of the most important things that you should do if you want to invest for the long term is know your company very well. So make sure that, you know, um, you have a high conviction um, so you know, often when a when a stock stock price drops, you know, I I almost <laughs> am ashamed to say, it, but I, I'm 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 often you know quite enthusiastic that I can add at a lower price. Um, so um, that that is because I have that high conviction because I know what the company does because I know the industry trends because I know the the way the 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 world evolves in the in this you know segment of the market and that's very important to know so um you know if you want to invest long term make sure that you first put in the work uh before you you know just uh, the, the, i see a lot of people just judging on one or two articles that they read and and you know they go along and then the stock drops, you know, 20, 25, 30% and, you know, they get out. And so, you know, they, they, then they lose money, of course. So um, that's not the way to do it. Um, you know, you should be, especially in, in uh, growth, uh, you should be, you should be able to. Okay. Just going to take a second there, but make sure that you are following Chris. Of course, we're having some Android problems, but he puts out a standing content. 
you know, much written content, uh, you know, deep dives. I think he's got some services. If you click into his bio, he's a Seeking Alpha contributor, um, really doing a ton there. So we're going to keep it rolling. And if Chris gets back up or he has anything else he wants to say, we'll throw that to him. But Brad, any closing comments? Yeah, I'll, I'll just say that. Uh, so I spent a really long time saying a lot of nice things about Progeny. And, and I, I could I could do the exact same thing for any other position in my portfolio. And I think it's really important just to to note that that when you invest, especially when you invest in these really high growth, speculative, long duration assets, you will be wrong sometimes. I will be wrong sometimes. It's, it's just inevitably going to happen. Um, I, I posted a tweet about it earlier today that, I mean, kind of uh, re- referring to, 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 to a baseball analogy. So I'm sorry if, if you're not a fan of the sport. But I mean, if you go one for three or one for four with a home run and then you strike out and every other at bat, the way common equities are set up to provide uncapped potential upside and, and finite potential downside makes it so that's okay. So really, really want to just leave everyone with the idea that it's okay to mess up and it's going to happen. It's inevitable. And and considering that, it's it's extremely important to kind of position size accordingly. And, and no matter how excited you are about any single company, to just d- define your risk and Stock Talk Weekly talks about this all the time to define your risk in a way that that's palatable for you if it does turn into a zero. And if you are wrong, like we'll all be sometimes. So for me, I, I have a 4% of, of, of total funds uh, cap on, on whatever I'll put into a position, no matter how excited I am about it. Um, for you, it could be 2% or 1% or, or, or higher than 4%. But, um, but, but I, I think there really needs to, to be that, that, that finite cap set um, to define the maximum amount you're willing to lose on a position. So when we are wrong um, in the future, and um, it, it, it can't hurt us, uh, it can't end us, it can't ruin us. Um, it, it'll just be a learning experience for us to overcome, and 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 one that's really not extremely painful to overcome um, if if we've if we've hit any of those homers, which uh, which hopefully we will. But I'll, I'll leave you with with that message, and, and excited to keep doing these in the future. Perfect. Thank you, Chris. You got cut off. There was anything else you wanted to throw in? Yeah, well, uh, more or less the same thing than uh, that Brad said. So, um, yeah, I'm I'm good. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna be doing this again. You know, next week we see some of our friends that are in the audience. Some of them came through. We'll definitely reach out to people like Investment Talk. Um, I see Dylan in the crowd. You would be great for this, I'm sure, and several others. So we'll be bringing them up and uh, you know making things like that happen. And Stock Talk, any closing thoughts? No, man. I mean, I enjoyed it. Um, you know, I'll come uh with a more specific idea next week um i just wanted to speak on on a on a sector i was bullish on today for the long term but yeah i enjoyed it a lot i think it's a great idea i think it's definitely a change of tune from most of the trading based spaces we do you know i'm i'm both a trader and an investor so i enjoy talking about you know both the long term view and the short term view on things so um yeah i enjoyed it a lot thanks for you know hosting these as usual Follow all the speakers up here, of course. Follow from from Value, uh, Brad, Stock Market Nerd is his handle. Danny, I know he didn't get a chance to speak, but he's a great trader. The Pup of Wall Street's up here. Follow Evan, Stock Market News, Wolf Financial, Bullish Rippers. Follow them all. They're all great. Follow me. You should be following all of them. So um, appreciate you guys, and uh, it was a good talk. Thank you, Stock Talk. Yeah, definitely agree. We're glad to get this kind of series worked in. You know, for anybody that's been following the Wolf account for a long time, I actually like really came up with the roots, uh, completely, you know, wrapped around fundamental analysis. Those were all the first people that I met, 
you know, those are all the people that I was doing spaces with every Friday, you know, um, we were doing a ton of those and then really dove in, I feel like to the trading side and now, I'm, you know, really comfortable there, comfortable talking on those spaces, doing my own charting. And now I kind of want to just get into that regular mix. Um, and maybe there's even other spaces that we add in, but again, this will be done by village strippers every Thursday at 12 PM EST so that people can, you know, pick and choose. And then one more time. So some people have been DMing me about this. If you want to know when all of our spaces are, we have a free public Google calendar. Anybody can get added to it. All you have to do is DM the Wolf account or Stock Market News. Shoot them over. Your just shoot DMs are wide open. Click into their accounts right now. Shoot them over your Gmail. You could just do this to one of them. The Wolf account's fine. I'll see that and I'll take care of it. Um, and just add that Gmail to it and just ask it on the calendar. That's it. Some people have been asking to be added, but they didn't send over an email. That's the only way we can add you. So please do help expedite that process. And then of course, be following. You know, the Wolf account, Stock Market News, Stock Talk Weekly, those are, we're like on all the spaces pretty much together. So as long as you're following those accounts, you're going to see these spaces pop up at the top of your timeline, just makes life easier. Uh, I think that's pretty much everything for me. I'll close out in just a minute, but I want to throw over to you, Evan, first to give your closing remarks. Yeah, thank you. I'll echo again. Uh, all these people come up here for free and give amazing information. These are all fantastic long-term investors up here. Danny's definitely more of a trader, but still, um, you know, an amazing follow. Check all of them out. Give them a follow. Shout out to Wolf and the Gov Blacksburg account for hosting the space and helping me do that. Um, you know, there, there's a lot more topics that we're going to talk about in the future. Uh, the spaces I was kind of trying to use it as the start of a long-term investor and there's a lot of really great questions and topics we can go to uh brad hinted at a little bit there with position size um i, I think that's going to be definitely a huge focus on one of the next spaces or so um and how you size your positions portfolio management everything like that will be one of the questions that we get to but yeah there's a lot going forward this is definitely a, a series that we're going to be continue doing uh, i did also want to give one small shout out to uh, an app that I've actually been working on and helping out a little bit it is definitely small work. I'm not out, out there developing anything or whatever, but I am definitely putting a lot of input in and, and it is my pin tweet right now, but pretty much uh, there's nowhere that you can track all your stocks, crypto and NFTs uh, across everything. I have multiple accounts and it's hard to see. I'm flipping through 20 different stuff to see where I'm at. This app kind of solves that. You can link everything to it and, and you can see it all nice in one place. A lot of cool stuff is improving there. Yeah. So uh, that's my pinned tweet. You should check it out. It's not just an ad or whatever. It's definitely something that I am a part of and, and you know, working with the team directly and, and doing some great stuff. It's actually Roundhill invested in it, and, and that's really uh, the people who started it. So cool. Or one of the guys at Roundhill who is now left to do this full-time starting it. But, yeah, cool thing there. Check it out. Uh, and, and big shout-out to you, uh, to, to Bullish Rippers, for hosting this. Yeah, I've been told, so that company's Asset Dash, right? Yeah, it's called Asset Dash. I probably definitely cool, should have got that in tell, there. Tell them to DM me. We'll make it happen. Dude, I did. I did. Did they not? No, not yet. Uh, we'll make it okay, happen. Okay, perfect. I'll, I'll, I'll mess be, I'll I think getting, that they, they... Yeah, so Evan, Evan DM'd me the other day, and he was like, hey, man, like, do you know of any apps where you could see like all your stocks, crypto, and NFTs in one place? I was like, no, nah, dude, it doesn't exist. And he goes, that's where you're wrong. And so you know, that was pretty cool to see. Um, what was going on there. Thank you, everybody that tuned in today. This was the first in our series, and we'll be back with this next week, but also a bunch more spaces today. See ya. Take care, everybody.